and, and still being able to carry out a discussion that is really deep, that requires a lot of intelligence. So I think you know that's one of the core that he actually is having the success he's having, although he's been doing it for 10 years. So of course it's some like, routine. Yeah. Yeah, and his stand-up uh, comedy background as well. Uh, yes, I mean, yeah. you, you have to be uh, sort of uh, fast on your mental feet if, yeah. you, yeah. if you're going to survive on a stage like that, I think. But how do we feel? You know, what was the thinking here about what uh, news outlets we really go to more and more, like Joe Rogan versus more traditional news and all that? I mean, like the, the whole conversation starts now a little bit, you know, from the angle that some of the old ways of media broadcasting and news is is it starting to get obsolete and you know and they are sort of building you know they we, we go somewhere else for information well i think if you go go back to like uh, the internet as a as a phenomenon uh, obviously it has sort of democratized communication a lot in a thousand different ways right uh, media would be one of those mm. uh, established um, sort of businesses that has to cope with that new type of competition i mean you see it in like music you see it in uh, like yeah, everything sure. everything I mean, comes spotify demo- democratized you know music in some way and re- reduced a bit the role of music labels or record labels right yeah or rearranged it uh mm-hmm. any, anyway and yeah i mean you can see it with like uh, online healthcare mm-hmm. uh, yeah. services uh sort of booming in sweden right now and yeah. it clashes with the old established le- legacy way of doing things and mm-hmm. you get a lot of a lot of conflicts uh, there, which in a way is healthy, I think, because mm. establishment should always be a challenge, you know. Mm. Uh, and it's also back to uh, one of our core um, concepts, which is first principle thinking, you know. Oh, right. Yes. Um, Elon Musk, which is, yes. I think, one of your you know role models as well. So I think Elon will come up a number of times tonight. But, but you know, I think the same. Did you read my notes? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's from before. <laughs> But, you know, I think news reporting would benefit from some kind of disruption as well. And yeah, it does. And it, everyone does. But isn't I mean, it happening right now among us? Is, isn't it actually happening slowly but surely that it, it is actually starting to become a new news and media landscape it, in some it, ways? Yeah. Who, who do we really listen to? Stuff like this. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and it's I, I'm, I'm no expert in this uh, in, in this topic. But uh, from my personal experience, I I was really a news junkie uh, up until I don't know, like six, seven years ago, something like that. And it's sort of slowly faded away. And you followed what, like traditional? Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything. I mean, I, I subscribe to various uh, newspapers. I w- watch broadcast news all the time. What's the latest news? I went into their uh, websites to uh, I mean, all the time to look. Okay, what's happening? And I started following following them on social media and so mm-hmm. so forth. And then I guess gradually shifted to to open media, open social media platforms to consume my m- media from or like the content from from established media through social media mm-hmm. and. The, the next step for me, I think, is to get, I guess, more and more narrow in a way. So that, narrow in what way? Uh, what, when it comes to uh, more sources, but but narrower sources, if that makes any sense. So I mean, because like it's personalized like, because yes, very 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 much tailored to, mm-hmm. to my my individual taste and interest, I so, guess. And what is the problem uh, with, with the old? Um, news media in your opinion is it too shallow or is it what, that, it what is it that is driving you to change behavior it's one it's 
I mean, it's it's basically one to many, and um, as a concept, I mean broadcasting. And you have to. I mean, it's this. It's a lot of trade-off to to uh, cater to everyone's interest. Then perhaps you cater to very few people's interest. I don't know. So, so you, it's, it's one way is to you want to personalize or go deeper on the topics that you're yeah, interested in. Yeah, it's, and I can only speak for myself, yeah, yeah. but I mean, in like po- podcasts and uh, narrower uh, sort of media or like this discussion for us on open social media platforms and stuff like that, much more interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's much more deeper. I mean, it's coming back to media, often there is a narrative that's being so, sort of uh, pushed. pushed in a way or described or... There's an angle, someone has an angle. Yes, there are angles. So there's a story that someone wants to tell, but it's not necessarily the pursuit of truth. And uh, Speaking of Joe Rogan, as I understand him, I I think I've seen a couple of hundred of his uh, episodes, so so I'm sort of versed in in his way of uh, interviewing. Uh, And he's open, he's honest, and he he, he wants to know the truth, basically. Mm. I don't know if he's getting... If he gets there, I mean, if you can get there but, anyway, but he's he's pushing that, and that, that's very much more aligned with like the pursuit of science. So there's no other like hidden agenda in some way. I don't feel that. Not, not uh, perhaps like indirectly. I mean, everyone is sub- subjective in their. He's subjective in, in what guests he uh, invites, right? Mm-hmm. But when the actual guest is there, he he feels very authentic to try to empathically understand the guest. Yes, uh, he, uh, he he hasn't. I, I can't see that he has an agenda bes- besides that he's curious about this person and that that person's experiences and uh, and look uh, on life, uh, and he wants to pursue that. And I think that's a great thing. It would be awesome if you actually get Trump on the show. And I'm not really sure if you've seen it recently, but uh, apparently there is a discussion, or people are trying to push Trump to come. Mm-hmm. Joe show. Rogan, yeah, and they also had like, a push, uh, trying to have a debate between Biden and, and Trump, you know, before oh, the yeah, election. Pre- but, prior to the election, yeah. yeah, that would have been something. It would have been awesome, I think. Yeah, but but there's another angle in here. What what maybe also why why we are sort of fed up with news and all that, and in, in I think it goes back to what you said with Joe Rogan, and it's a little bit this topic of authenticity. Authenticity, yeah. a hard word. Yeah. And we, we, we spoke in another uh, episode, you know, Elon Musk, wh- why he doesn't really advertise, but we really listen to him and we get engaged when he talks. And he's, he's not the f- most fluent, perfect, no. you know, speaker, but it goes through the heart because he speaks in what I consider with an authentic engineering uh, giddy approach. You yeah. know? And I think it's, it, it feels real. And this whole realness, I think, is some of the stuff that I think sometimes in normal media is like, I know what color it is on this news broadcast show. So I know how the angle is going to be on the story before we even hear the story. I know the narrative even before it's played out. Yeah. And that, that makes and that's, that's not really truth, right? Or at least if, if you know, if there is a narrative and you know that narrative, do you want to hear that story again? No. Nope. Do you want to listen to something else? I, I actually, you kind of want to go behind the scenes of what, what really happened and what are, what are the different angles. And typically the narrative is not really balanced. So the narrative puts it in one corner or the other corner. But but the world is more complex than that. Yes, awesome. I would agree. I think we should have this as a topic later, speaking about the media and the filter bubble and personalization and pros and cons of social media and all these kind of things. So I, I add it to the list. So Great. Great. 
But before that, perhaps we should, for one, welcome you here, Per Nygårds. It's a pleasure to have you here. We've met a number of times in the past. And we have. Uh, that's always fun discussions, speaking about EU or the parliament discussions and whatnot and politics about AI and data and so forth. So it's been a pleasure to to um, to have yeah to speak you uh, to speak to you and, and know you. But for people that don't know you, how would you describe yourself? Well, uh, first, let me just say thank you for inviting me. I, I'm very uh, honored to be here, actually. Uh, feels like a real privilege. Uh, and um, yes, who am I? Uh, to quote a colleague of mine, I've been asking myself that my whole life. <laughs> and I don't have an answer. <laughs> but but, but uh, seriously, I, I, you could perhaps describe me as a tech policy wonk, with perhaps some philosophical leanings. Or perhaps it's uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nerd. nerd yeah. Tech policy nerd with this leading to philosophy. Yeah. I like that. That, that would be me as a person. Yeah. And uh, or perhaps it's the other way around. Because I'm, uh, I'm, I've studied uh, in the humanities for, for a long time. So I basically started my academic career with studying law at the law school in, uh, in Stockholm. And I dropped out because it wasn't for me, I thought. Uh, and studied a lot of uh, behavioral sciences after that and ended up uh, with a major in computer science. Uh, so it's kind of a broad spectrum of... Uh, from law to... To code, basically. To code. From code to code, perhaps. <laughs> That's uh, and now I work uh, doing public affairs uh, in an industry association uh, here in Stockholm, in Sweden. So I, it sort of follows my, my academic career in a way. And I thought I was moving away from law, but I... You came back to policy, but in another yeah, way. But policy is often law yeah. and rules, so... Yeah, sure. But you've also been part of uh, .se, right? And uh, Yes, I, I, uh, I was, was for one term uh, on the board of directors. Uh, what do uh, they do? Uh, well, basically, it's uh, they're handling the top domain uh, in Sweden. Dot se, and that's the uh, sort of prime uh, uh, responsibility of that organization. They they also have its um, what's what it called in English? Stiftelse. Oh, foundation. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In their charters, anyway, they they are um, obliged to uh, expand and promote uh, the use uh, of internet in Sweden. Mm -hmm. So uh, they do a lot of uh, sort of outreach and uh, information campaigns and stuff like that. They have a, a yearly um, report on uh, the internet's expansion in Sweden, how people use the internet in various uh, age segments and demographic segments and so on, various types of media consumption and so forth. What do you think about this? I remember, you know, in the early days when .se actually became available and in the beginning you were not allowed to register a domain there unless you actually had uh, some kind of trademark or something registered and it was really tough and then changed a bit, but um, this was a long time ago. It's yeah, like it was prior to my time there. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think about like domain name handling in general? Um, I guess we we all need it because you know who could remember IP addresses, and you need to have a proper way to to just find resources resources on on the internet. But it's also a bit of a like almost a market these days, wouldn't you say, with yeah, having yes. a proper domain name? Uh, and and the market could be questionable if that's a, a good way to handle it. Or do you have any thoughts about you know how to have a like well functioning domain name 
system. I've, I've learned perhaps too late in life that if you should criticize something, you should have a very good alternative for it. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not sure I have an alternative to yeah. domain names actually yeah. uh, on the top of my head anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, have you noticed any like major systemic issues when it comes to domain names and how, I mean, how if you take a .com domain i mean it's such a big market there you, you know if you register your name in advance and someone else you know later comes to and uh, wants to have it they can pay a lot of money to just get the domain name itself and then the question is is that really a well functioning market i'm not sure i haven't investigated it uh, mm-hmm. actually so I, i'm i i'm a bit hesitant to to say too much about it but uh, again what would be the alternative how to make it functional. Yeah. Perhaps we will get into functional markets later on here <laughs> when we talk about regulation. Yeah, I mean, you have some uh, background in, in finance as well, so it uh, could be interesting to discuss. So but, I, I but from, universe, but from yeah. university or, so to speak, what, what was your, you know, the, the quick steps to where you are now? Like, so what's the sort of main pivotal things that sort of shaped your understanding of how you ended up where you are? Well, basically, uh, I, I've been at my uh, current uh, organization for quite some years, like 13 years, something like that. So I've been there a long, long time. Uh, but previous to that, I worked in a think tank uh, on globalization uh, issues, actually, when it was unhip. <laughs> uh, so a think tank was started to sort of pro- promote, speaking of narratives, a more positive uh, outlook upon uh, globalization. Uh, and I worked there uh, managing their website and also did some... Uh, some work related to to, uh, to the contents of, of the actual think tank. And that's sort of how, uh, how I uh, got into contact with uh, politics and uh, policy, uh, for that matter. So I worked there about a year or something like that. And then I got um, this opening uh, at uh, this industry association that I actually work at right now. And perhaps that's a good introduction to, you know, um, how did that happen? Can you just speak about, you know, how, how did you find the opening and what made you attracted to it? Well, ba- basically, uh, coming back to this think tank, uh, which is called Global Utmaning, Global Challenge, uh, globalutmaning.se, I think they still exist, actually. Um, that that really made me interested in, uh, in, in policy issues. And I, I also saw, because we had this... Uh, working groups and they were discussing various kinds of uh, policy and how it should be shaped and so forth. And that made me realize that you, you can really influence things uh, and not, not always from, from like the party pol- pol- politics side of things, but that you can influence being a stakeholder. Right. Uh, so there was an opening at uh, my, my current organization then and I, um, I basically sought it out and got yeah. hired. Yeah. Can I speak about what the opening was about? What did you start doing there when you? Oh started? my God! It's 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 uh, <laughs> it's, uh. it's not concerning data anyway. It's uh, no, it's it was concerning public affairs, mm-hmm. but uh, more uh, oriented towards public procurement and uh, legal matters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I am I am a law school dropout, so I have <laughs> some, some, some grasp of uh, law and reg- regulation, uh, and also with my background uh, as a computer scientist, I guess they yeah. fa- found me interesting. So I, I did work with. Uh, public procurement issues uh, and also IP and, and other... Uh, Intellectual property. Yeah, oh, sorry about that, yeah. yeah. Not IP addresses. No, no, no. not that. <laughs> that was later. <laughs> no, so intellectual property and, and basically copyright. And I, uh, I, I did a fairly long stint of focusing on copyright, uh, basically so, sort of trying to 
within a realms of this organization and, and representing the, the IT and telecom industry in Sweden, try to f- fence off various kinds of responsibilities that other stakeholders and in industries want to put upon not, not the least various kinds of uh, intermediaries like uh, internet service providers. I mean, you you probably remember Napster and yeah, uh, the Pirate Bay and everyth- everything. The, it was like never a, heard of a Pirate Bay and never yeah. used it as well. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> no, I, I, it's it's only rumors to me, yeah. but exactly. it was a big thing. A friend of mine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a friend exactly. of mine used to. <laughs> I've heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so I, when we talk about copyright, it was in relation to those kind of yeah, to infri- uh, yes, online infringements on, in, online uh, infringement. in uh, music and uh, film and computer. So what, I rem- I ca- I, let's see, when was this? Two thousand five or something mm. like that, right? Yes, yeah, around huge. there. If I remember yeah, my friend correctly, yeah, it was around those. You know, does Napster exist? I don't think oh. so. No. No. It's like I'm, I'm, it's like it was. We're not. It's not that long ago, but it feels a very, very long time ago. Mm. And yeah. before people, yes. people younger than us do not well, know what that is. I would no, argue. and and for, because like Pirate Bay and <laughs> Napster, like <laughs> that, you know, why do you need Spotify? Yeah. <laughs> But you know, for people that uh, don't know IT and telecom, how would you describe that organization? We're uh, classic, co- <coughs> sorry, uh, classic Coke, uh, I should say, perhaps not Coke Zero, <laughs> uh, but we're, we're, we're a tra- uh, rather traditional uh, industry organization and an employers association. Mm-hmm. So we have like 13, 1400 member companies and we help them with various services which is mainly uh, tied to their uh, role as employers. So we have like collective agreements that some members use and some does not, but uh, many of them use our uh, HR services. So we we assist when it comes to HR matters, which is not always the easiest thing uh, to grasp and handle. Um, but that's the part that I don't uh, focus too, too much on my, in my daily job, but r- uh, rather the industry industry part be, be, uh, being a representative for, uh, for the tech sector in Sweden, basically. Mm-hmm. So in, in what way, you know, they have a large number of, I mean, I guess the, the biggest tech companies in Sweden, at least uh, as members of this organization. Yes. And, and what would you say the, the value proposition, so to speak, why are companies wanting to join that organization? Basically to help sort of steer both the industry uh, and its sort of constraints when it comes to regulation and other market conditions in a favorable way uh, for the industry as such. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, we, we have we have also m- more sort of Im- immediate services for your for your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas kinds, uh, we have like uh, standard agreements um, for uh, like business contracts, standard yeah. uh, contracts, which is very uh, popular. Um, mm-hmm. You get a very huge uh, uh, discount as a member company, and that's that's a great pull factor as well. Awesome. And can you perhaps name some companies that are part of it, just so people get a feeling for what type of companies that, that uh, are part? Sure. Well, you have you have the leg, leg, legacy players from, from the telecom sector and the, mm-hmm. the IT sector, uh, like uh, Telia, Ericsson, um, uh, Microsoft, IBM, mm-hmm. um, CGI, uh, former VM Data. Yeah. And, and and so forth, uh, like b- big leg- legacy stakeholders, uh, and then you have a wide variety of other types of companies that are 
perhaps smaller, perhaps younger. We try to expand towards uh, more sort of like uh, tech, uh, the, the tech community to mm. be relevant for them and to, mm. to make a valuable proposition. That But you're expanding really the, the hardware technology vendors, the software technology vendors, and also consultants in, of different tech-related yeah, consulting. So more or less anything in, in the tech sector. And it's, it's basic, I, I would sort of fl- flip that question uh, and say that it, or if you're interested, if you're a company that's, uh, that's based in Sweden and interested in what we do, not the least when it comes to, to policy making, because we, we have a, quite a large operation when it comes to public affairs. I have like, I think five colleagues, something like that, mm-hmm. doing uh, public affairs in, in various uh, capacities, uh, which is rather large for such a small organization. Mm-hmm. We're about 10 people. Um, if you're interested in that, you're welcome to us. So uh, it doesn't matter if you're uh, like an online health uh, provider, if you're in, in logistics, or if you are like a, a, an old school uh, software developer. If you're interested in our questions, you're welcome to join us. And, And basically you push, and uh, lobbying is maybe not the, the right word, but you're pushing fundamental topics where regulation has not... Co- It's not relevant anymore in some areas. But to, to me, lobbying is not a dirty word. So no? it's, it's ab- absolutely lobbying. We're, we're trying to sort of distill the industry's position in various uh, for the industry relevant topics like skills, um, data policy that I work with, telecom yeah. regulation, um, uh, sustainability. And, and, to, and, and then from an industry point of view, trying to persuade who? The politicians? Uh, t- t- typically, uh, the, the, the lawmakers, the, the legislator, le- legislative. Yes, legislators and uh, obviously the government, so politicians. And uh, I'd say also uh, regulatory agencies is, is very important for us to have a good relation with. So they understand Uh, like, like the data protection agency, uh, IMI, uh, Data Inspekonen, previously called. IMI, who's? No, we're joking. No, that's the, that's the other <laughs> one. <laughs> we, we, there's some of those Freudian slips we've done. Yeah. I, I was joking, actually. So, Integritetsmyndigheten. Yeah, yeah Integritetsskyddsmyndigheten. Skyddsmyndigheten, yeah, sorry. So data Inspekonen before. Yeah, exactly. And they, uh, that is, to us, it's super important as an industry that they understand the industry, its inner workings, how... Their outlook upon us as an industry when it comes to regulation um, For sure. is uh, in, in, in line with how the, how the industry actually functions, and that that's not 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 bad mouthing them in any way, but that no. that can be a challenge sometimes to to get the message across. So that that's why we need like a broad representation of companies within our organization, mm-hmm. so we can build a sort of a, a both solid uh, and representative position uh, on various issues, I guess. Yeah. And, and where are you, at your main role and key focus right now in uh, this organization? It is my, my personal? Yes. Yeah, I, I'm responsible for data policy within yes. my organization. So anything that touches data uh, or most things anyway, which is qu- quite a lot, it's grown. Uh, I manage something that is called the Data Council, which is... Um, A member council uh, comprised of member companies, obviously, in our organization, some 40 companies there. And it ranges from like the, the big ones, uh, like Google, Facebook, uh, Telia, Ericsson, companies like that, to a very small local Swedish. Uh, And could suppliers. you give me examples of the concrete topics that yeah, is sure. high on the agenda? Right? Like data protection would be yeah. a, a major topic. Um, <laughs> Um, some EU regulation as well. We haven't typically been too active when it comes to EU regulation, at not not at least on the EU level, because you you have to. New, someone said you you should know your limitations. <laughs> Famous quote. I don't remember from whom, but 
uh, we were rather small for being in Brussels and uh, trying to influence. So we mainly focused on Sweden, but like the Digital Services Act, which is an upcoming regulation on uh, liability for digital services within the EU. Uh, that's something that we're focusing on right now. Uh, GDPR. Has been GDPR, uh, always, since always. its conception. Since its conception. Yeah, we can get back, back to that as well. Yeah. That's a rather large topic mm-hmm. in itself. Um, and uh, on the national level, uh, one of the major issues for us, and it's sort of it's sort of a local example of what's also going on on the EU level, is uh, the the conditions for the use of cloud services uh, in other other the cloud type. act the cloud act yes uh, th- that's one aspect of it but the the, the use of uh, cloud services uh, in public sector or rather uh, public cloud uh, services in public sector so basically outsourcing of IT operations from the public sector that that is basically today in Sweden a non-functional market. Yeah, and we can, I think this is a topic in its own yeah. where, where there has been several different cases and, and one, one, uh, and lawyers looking at this from different topics and basically overruling each other. And it's been policy making or, or interpretation of the law. Well, what you are, the way you interpret it is like, have you thought it's not thought through. So I think this topic is very interesting on the cloud on the cloud interpretation, because, you know, in, in one way it's, everything is illegal, right? If you, if you take it to one extreme and so could we go into, I mean, like park it, but I, I go did, into yeah, this topic. I added it as a topic. So because let's this go is into huge. cloud services and how, you know, public sector and, and what's the alternative perhaps in Sweden or Europe. But also if we can go deeper on the actual interpretation of the law, because there's actually competing interpretations now. The yeah, way so I understand it's, it. it's, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll get back to it, but it's, it's very complex and yeah. it's, 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 there is not one truth here. Basically, but so, I think yeah. it it could be very helpful for the listeners to understand the landscape and to understand what it's the different core positions here. Yeah, sure, let's unpack it. Yeah. Let's unpack it later. Cool, and that's a good one. <laughs> and for people that don't understand terms like public affairs or what uh, policy making or data policy means, yeah. how would you describe it in in more concrete terms? Well, basically, we, uh, I, I'd say that. We as an organization and in my, in my role as a public uh, affairs expert is, is basically to uh, represent uh, a special interest. So not the, the general public or anything like that, but the special interest, mm-hmm. which would be our member companies and uh, the, the tech sector in a, in a broader sense as well, which is, I mean, it's what, what's good for our members is good for the tech sector and vice versa in Sweden. The, so if you, if you see that as a, sort of frame or a a, a, a sort of special interest. Uh, We try to championing that special interests need. And and Mm -hmm. and, uh, some people might refrain from that uh, description that, oh, special interest, bad. You shouldn't, I mean, you should work, always work for the common good, right? Uh, But then again, if you're championing uh, a special interests, uh, interests, uh, that can also be for the general uh, public's good, which is my my my, my actual uh, personal conviction. And in, in our case, oh, that's, no, that's, we, that's a good point. Through working for us and our industry, we're creating better conditions to help society. But the way the way I I, I, I interpret special interest, in, in a, I think it's a positive way. 
I think and relating it to data and AI and data literacy is a little bit like special interest also means that we have a, a, a sector who has a deeper understanding and a deeper foundational uh, consequence analysis that they sit on. And, and when yes, you, because obviously. when you do, when you do general interest, you typically general could also be shallow interest. Yes. So here, here we have a tech sector who probably understands this particular piece of the problem deeper than anyone else. Yes. And but you need to then get that heard. So I, I think special interest to me is deeper understanding. Uh, that's, yeah, I mean? that's, yeah, that, that's a great perspective. And I, I, uh, I'd be very happy to follow up, uh, the, the, this, uh, uh, sort of thread because as I see it, we, uh, as an industry, obviously we know ourselves the best. Mm -hmm. uh, the technology, its impl possible implications, good and bad, uh, how you could sort of, perhaps not on a data level, but how you can regulate it or, or sort of uh, create conditions for it to, to sort of ha harvest the upside of it but while you're curbing risks of bad things happening. Well, to, put, it, to put it simply. But to put to date on AI and what we have seen in, in congressional hearings in the US, I mean, it's quite clear that the general lawmaker has no fucking clue. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, and who's the responsibility to educate them? Exactly. So th there you have it. Uh, as what a I stakeholder, mean. you have, a, uh, you have an, um, an obligation to actually help them understand. To make conscious how, decisions. How, ex exactly. But then again, you, I mean, it's it would be nice if all regulation was made in the like in good faith and with, with no special concern for your own needs and it's always for the general public's best and so forth. But obviously that's not the case. You need to be super knowledgeable in this particular case. Yes, and uh, also if you look at um, sort of the, the structure or model or, or like, like process, like the, the system for creating uh, laws and regulation, it, it's, it's basically not it's not screwed together to, to, to handle this rapid change in conditions. That, that's a major obstacle in, in creating like sustainable regulation for, for the tech sector, whether it be like AI or uh, data protection or whatever, because the, 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 the take up is, is growing so fast and, it's, and it, it affects so many things that the, the lawmaker really can't keep up because lawmaking is a very slow process. It, it in a way needs to be slow or it needed to be slow anyway. So if you want to sort of regulate things and uh, remove like risks, but wh while you still keep a possibility to, uh, to, to innovate and deploy new things, try new things like trial and error, use the free market, you can't regulate too much. Uh, you, you need regulation. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting topic. I think regulation is a topic we should really go into and pros and cons with that and what happens if you over or under regulate and everything. But just to go back a bit to like public affairs and special interest groups and, and how you represent all the companies that you do have. I guess one way to reason about this is to, to say, you know, what would happen if you didn't exist? who would take the initiative to try to influence policymakers, who would try to take the initiative to see, you know, even though the intention of GDPR was good, perhaps the execution or implementation of it wasn't the best, and, and who would really take that responsibility, who right? Who would take that on? Uh, other special interests uh, that would perhaps be narrower. Mm. Not, not saying that narrow is wrong. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, like GDPR and how it came to be, it was not... 100%, but it was basically a re reaction of, on, on data hoarding. 
uh, from large uh, yes. companies that should not be named here. I, uh, I think everyone knows them. There's no problem to name but, them. But, uh. So uh, what what happened? You you got GDPR, and during the process of, of negotiating GDPR, uh, the NSA, NSA scandal happened in the US. It had nothing to do with GDPR, really. Yeah. Uh, not when it comes to like substance matter, but it really influenced uh, the negotiations in the European Parliament, and they made like a gazillion uh, add-ons to, uh, to, to the original proposal from the EU Commission. I think it was like four thousand amendments or some ridiculous number really? like that. Uh, yeah, all, all time high, I think, uh, in the European Parliament at least at that time. Yeah. Uh, so you got this very complex regulation uh, on a very high level, like EU level, uh, over the member state level uh, and uh, basically it grow an extreme amount of cost for businesses yeah. to uh, compliance costs and whom are the best to handling compliance costs exactly this small, actually goes to the point you know small we, or we, we huge corporations yeah. we've been arguing this point and you are as, as an expert you know in regulation and uh, public affairs for the tech sectors we have been arguing that you know gdpr had the intention to try to prevent the data hoarding as you say it and, and the way that the big tech giants are doing it but it had it, it actually had the exact opposite, opposite effect saying that basically the only people or companies that do have the uh, ability and resources to comply with the regulation is the big tech giants yes and then it actually incurred much bigger costs and inability to use data for the rest of the companies. So, do you agree with this? Yes, uh, I would totally agree with that. Uh, and um, I haven't heard anyone uh, disagree, actually. Mm. No, so, so, so you, you do something because of something coming in that we are trying yeah. to prevent with certain companies. And we have we have even named down the trifecta what what makes this so obvious. They have the that was a the, beautiful word that I'd never heard before. The trifecta of the they have the they have the superior tech stack and data industrialized approaches, so they can easily more easily comply. Yeah. Um, they have all the uh, advanced use cases, so they have internal case law inside their companies, so they know how to deal with the next case or the next yes. case. And they have the size to have a legal department and even a lobbyist department on lawmaking. So who is basically best equipped to deal with GDPR? Tech giants. Yes, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, and I think it's it's very unfortunate. Uh, it is very it's, unfortunate. It's, and I, I would stress uh, that it's absolutely not uh, these companies' fault, but it's uh, rather the responsibility mainly yeah, fa falls on the legislator. And then you have to go back to, okay, wh what was the, the reason be behind this, uh, this bill, this proposal uh, that went through uh, the European Parliament uh, and uh, the, the European Council and ended up being GDPR? Um, and basically, w what's missing here, uh, both d during this process of making law, and it, this, this goes for Sweden as well, like on the national level, uh, legislative level in Sweden here, uh, in the Swedish parliament and on the EU level and uh, in many other places, is that you don't evaluate the, uh, the proposal and its, its effects, both direct and indirect effects. Well, you do. It, it, it's being done, but it's sort of shallow. And I mean, if you, I know Swedish, uh, Swedish regulation better than, than European, but so if you look at Swedish regulation and how, how you so, sort of make regula uh, national regulations in Sweden, like national law, 
you, you would have a governmental uh, investigation uh, appointed by by, uh, by the government, and they make their investigation, and they they come up with a proposal, and the government takes it back and ponders this, and they, they make a proposal for uh, for the Swedish Parliament, and they perhaps amend some things, and they, they, then you have a law when it's passed in in the Parliament. That takes some time. That that takes. Not Post- least it takes time, but o- often what what what's missing is uh, th- this uh, analysis of the possible consequences of this piece of legislation, right. and it's especially indirect consequences mm-hmm. or consequences um, that um, s- sort of emerge in other other places. How it affects like the economy and stuff like that. If you look, if you took like GDPR. And made made like uh, a GDP uh, impact assessment mm. <laughs> of that legislation. Consequence analysis. Consequence analysis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it it would be horrible. Yeah. I think actually the the Ministry of no uh, the governmental agency of growth in Sweden, uh, Tillväxtverket, mm-hmm. uh, who are uh, set up to like promote uh, enterprises and stuff like that. I yeah. think anyway, yeah. uh, th- they've made uh, an estimate on on the uh, the compliance cost for Swedish companies and organization GDP, GDPR compliance cost in 2018 only, and that amounted to I think it was 27 billion Swedish kroner. That year in compliance cost for yeah. one piece of legislation, and that's it's massive. That's and scary. It's, and no, it is no, scary. Yeah, it is scary. And that, that you have the alternative cost there. What could you have done with that? Exactly. Um, that money instead of paying like lawyer bills. But I mean, you as as a, as a lawyer or expert in regulation as well. I mean, there is a purpose. I mean, <laughs> if you use regulation in a good way, there is a good purpose for it, right? Yes. Right. So. What do you? Th- I, I guess the question could be: There is a chance that you over or under regulate different problems, and and both has negative consequences, right? I think what you're missing in in the sort of legacy way of of, of making law, both in Sweden and mm-hmm. the EU, and, and perhaps in other places as well, is you don't have the correct feedback loops when you develop uh, right. your regulation mm-hmm. or your code, so to speak, uh, and that that goes both during the process and after i mean let's say you 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 make some new kind of regulation and it's really awful and bad it has mm. all kinds of negative side effects and it misses the mark it doesn't do what it's supposed to do who pays the cost for that mm. who has skin in the game no one yeah. uh, and uh, ob- obviously that's not a good thing because that enforces bad behavior mm. or or at least like sloppy behavior mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Makes me think about you know building AI systems, and and I recently had some you know presentations about this, and people that you know junior people that just you know they build a prototype and they're super happy, and they have a deep learning model that can do some kind of prediction, and they're like, awesome, I'm done. And then they want to put it in production and start using it, and suddenly it has you know um, unknown consequences that you don't know about, and they have these kind of weird feedback loops that you wouldn't foresee. And suddenly the model you trained on some training data that is a year old suddenly is not very useful. And, and it's certainly there is this kind of training and serving skew that doesn't make the model work as you thought. So trying to understand the feedback loop, I guess, would apply to regulation as well. I mean, right? Yes, so. I, I think uh, and this is very much uh, just, just a personal um, 
understanding of this this uh, situation when it comes to regulating tech that it, you have a system that's not apt or, or suitable for, for regulate uh, this kind of uh, situation basically and w- one thing here is the speed of change mm. like speed of take up it, it goes much faster than the uh, as, as I mentioned previously here that then the the lawmaker can keep up with yeah. uh, so, so they they're getting sort of like further and further away uh, from from catching the ball, and what what do you do then? You get desperate and you hurl yourself forward and, and try to yeah. stop the ball from. I guess you know we have this traditional software engineering. We have DevOps, and then in AI you have ML Ops. I so guess we, we need, could we need, need a regulate no, no Reg Ops, Reg Ops, Pub Ops, Poly Ops, Regulation Ops, Reg Ops. But it's like actually interesting that in order to keep up with DevOps, how will policy look like in an agile and iterative way is that what you're saying yeah, in some uh, ways um, or, or, or the, i mean like we, we 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 grew up software development with waterfall policy making is still uh, the pre-study it's going through the different motions waterfall project if i if i take it and it basically doesn't in the software and what we're doing is completely now agile mm. so in this i mean like maybe you can't and we all usually say like well you can't build nuclear power plants Agile, maybe. Okay, good. Maybe in lawmaking and policy making, the whole process needs to find another. Th- there needs to be different routes for different types of industry. Oh, you know, I, I don't know. Is that what you're saying? That we need yeah. to find other well, ways well, to deal with this? Th- there, I mean, there are other ways. I, I have, I'm not too w- well versed uh, mm-hmm. in, in that, but you, ha- you have like regulatory sandboxes and stuff like that. Uh, Do you think that will work? I, thought, I saw that in the recent you know, EU proposals, they, they would propose like uh, regulatory sandboxes in Europe. Yes, it's, it's, been, it's been proposed. And I, I mean, on a, a concept level, I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think that means? Like taking one country and just trying out a regulation before you roll it out, or something like that, or, or some uh, area, or so, mm. some uh, some sector niche, or, or something sector, or some, something like that. Try monitor, see what happens, mm. and it could be sort of like a first step to how, how to to make law in a more f- efficient way. I mean, mm. everyone wants a sustainable piece of regulation. Yeah. No, no, no one. I mean, except. Perhaps if, if you're li- like selling consultancy services to, yeah. to lawmakers, everyone uh, gains from sustainable regulation. But, but I think, I think the, the concept is quite, you know, especially when we're in data and AI. So sometimes you need to validate the model. You need to validate what you're doing. How will it, how will it turn out? Will it work? So how can I create a safe uh, environment with a minimized blast radius where I can then uh, validate what the policy yeah. making will be all about. Is, isn't simply, that, is uh, that the purpose? I think that's how I interpret the purpose of a, of a policy sandbox. Yes, uh, well, it's, it's same here. Um, and I, I, I can't really elaborate on that. I, I think it's a good, it would be a good thing to sort of- At least try? To at least, at least try. And it's being made in various countries. I think Finland is, again, uh, sort of ahead uh, when it comes to trying uh, new ways of uh, making policy. I don't know if it's like uh, regulation, perhaps, but it's 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 at least policy making. They, they have some uh, have had some trials there, uh, just trying to 
sort of sandbox uh, policies and l- let them play out, see what happens and l- learn from that experience. So feedback loops there. Well, me as a tech person, you know, ma- this makes me really happy because we can learn, I think, so much from the tech industry in doing like A-B testing or A-B something testing before you actually roll it out to all the users. Let's we, do policy A-B testing. But this is really what they're suggesting, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah it is. And I think yeah. it's, it's sort of influenced in a way from the software industry. Oh. Uh, perhaps not directly, but the idea is very similar. But but and it makes sense that that the policy making follows the underlying things it's trying to regulate. So data and software is following some sort of pattern. How that is evolving and how what the speed of change is all about. So then the policy making in that particular area kind of needs to stay relevant as well. Yeah, I think um, perhaps you ha- you have to. Uh, sort of address regulation of, of something that changes uh, rapidly uh, from several perspectives. For one, you have to stand on like, I guess, more fundamental principles, uh, speaking of uh, first principles. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's go so, so you know why you're actually re- regulate. So it's not only a reactive regulation. Mm. Uh, in a way, I, I like uh, reactive regulation that you don't fix what's not broken. Don't regulate if it doesn't need to be regulated, right? Mm. But, but then again, if, if you don't have like any, any, any like core principles uh, to where, where your regulation emanates from, you you will be very much caught in the wind as a regulator or mm. a legislator, and mm. I feel that that's sort of what's happening. If, if I mean, if you look at the EU right now and the European Commission and their uh, digital—it's uh, not called agenda—the digital strategy for uh, this this uh, AI white book or the uh, no everything. It's it has sort of a cap on it. The, uh, the, the EU Commission's uh, digital strategy is it digital strategy or digital agenda or something like this? I think it's called digital strategy, strategy but the, the agenda was a strategy. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's it's very much that they are trying to grasp. I mean, it's it's AI on various levels. It's you have data in all kinds of possible and impossible ways that uh, the EU Commission thinks it should be regulated in some sort of t- specific way, right? And it's it. I don't. I, I'm not saying that it's bad. Uh, but w- w- when you sort of try to regulate something uh, from multiple angles, uh, and the thing itself, like, like if you call it data or like digitalization, perhaps to make it even wider, I mean it's ubiquitous. It's it's everywhere and nowhere. And if you regulate data usage from like an uh, intermediate liability perspective, uh, which you do in the Digital Services Act, you regulate it from a data protection perspective, privacy, privacy right? Uh, from copyright, IP yeah. perspective as well. It's, it's, a, it's uh, a hub job. Uh, yes, hub and you, so, so it's, it's so you, you you get like a, a legislative stack that starts to push down upon the industry uh, more and more and more, and you see. It, it, you see that it will become more and more difficult to be in compliance with all these uh, pieces of uh, legislation. Uh, and they sometimes contradict, so you don't perhaps know what foot you should stand on. I mean, if we comply with that regulation, are we complying with this one as well? But, I mean, like freedom of speech ver- versus privacy, right? Mm-hmm. Tricky situation. But, but can I try to now open up a new topic? Because I think now we have we have sort of started talking about policy and, and into regulations and, and get actually thinking about how it works. And we are now get, getting to the end of that topic n- saying, and we haven't, we have almost said it now, 
but we have said it that we have so many angles for things. So maybe we need to go first principle mm. thinking on regulation. And I think that could Can be I, just before we move into that. Um, <laughs> Do you like that topic? Oh, I, yes, yes. Uh, before, it, it would be fun to just hear your opinion about the Digital Services Act and upcoming EU regulation and especially about. Okay, so finish that off first and then we can go here. And especially about, you know, the potential differentiation between high risk and low risk AI and that potentially they should be having you know, different regulations or different standards when it comes to what's required to be compliant with the regulation, uh, depending on how high risk the AI in their use case is. Uh, any thoughts about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Let, let's start with the ESA, the Digital Services Act, uh, and then, then we'll get to AI. If I, I'm not too yeah. very well versed in, in that proposal, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll try. Yeah. Uh, so, but. Basically, the Digital Services Act is a proposal from the EU Commission on how to regulate uh, intermediaries' uh, responsibility for uh, user content in their services. So you you have a service uh, of some kind. Uh, your users are doing something. They upload something or something like that. Uh, what's your responsibility uh, as a service provider for that content? It might be legal. It might be harmful or something like that. Um, how should you uh, address uh, perhaps a request from someone to remove that piece of uh, data or that piece of information from your platform? What, what's your liability, basically? And there, you, uh, in the main focus uh, of this uh, regulation is uh, the big social media platforms. Mm. I think, because the terminology isn't crystal clear here, but there's uh, something and the EU as well as the tech industry loves uh, abbreviations. So it's something <laughs> called VLOP. VLOP. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very long, large online uh, platforms. Mm. Uh, and that, that would be your uh, Facebooks and, and YouTubes and, uh, and uh, platforms like that. Uh, but it could be more. Mm. It's not clear. Uh, the boundaries here when it comes to liability, liability, they would have a very high, uh, level of, uh, sort of, uh, compliance with, with all these, there, there are tons, tons of, uh, rules here to, to comply with, uh, to get intermediary, uh, inter tongue twister here, <laughs> yeah, intermediary liability, um, exemptions, which they have in, in current EU regulation. So, what your users are doing on your platform, that's mainly not your responsibility, like if you're an internet service provider. I mean, yeah. we, we, that that's their responsibility yeah. as users, mainly. So th that will be a, a, a rather large piece of regulation uh, covering not, not only these big players, but also smaller uh, market actors. You would have like cloud providers. Mm -hmm. you, um, you would ha have like... Um, internet service providers and other providers as well. Um, it's it's not finalized, this uh, this proposal, so you, you don't really know. So in the theory, it can go from Facebook to Amazon, Azure, uh, cloud providers. You mean hardcore platform cloud providers? Yes, so they, they, they would get, uh, they would be, uh, have, have some sort of liability, not, not, not full liability, because mm -hmm. it's sort of an uh, asymmetric application of the law, which is in a way complicated. You should have that. The outlook is general regulation, mm. but here you have different kinds of regulation for different kinds of stakeholders, and that in itself is, on a fast-changing market, kind of complicated. I think, uh, but it. I guess it will be necessary when it comes to liability here, because you can't like put a similar type of uh, liabilities on Facebook and on like some little cloud provider or something like that. Yeah. Or, 
And uh, I, could you could we talk a little bit like, or for for me who doesn't know the details here or the listeners, so what is the general direction of this act? Um, well, what, what is it trying to do, and and what what are, are the things we are concerned about? So so, so basically, it's. Uh, uh, digital service providers a responsibility for what their customer are doing in their service to, re- to and, and clarify that yeah to clarify that and it, it specifically contains uh, concerns content on your platform uh, and it could be like uh, illegal stuff of various kind like terror content or copyright infringement and stuff stuff like that uh, and that it's also been talk of uh, adding sort of responsibility for what's called uh, harmful content. I don't know exactly what that is and is not, uh, but that's sort of off the table as of now. So it's focused on illegal content, which is sort of what's defined in in, in code or in law, basically that it um, that that this regulation would apply to. And depending on what type of uh, digital service provider you are, you would have. Uh, uh, more or less responsibility uh, to comply or more, more or less. Uh, so essentially, if there's illegal stuff on Facebook, Facebook needs to remove it. Yes. Is that what it means? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what it means. Just be- before we end this topic, and it would be fun to hear what you thought about the Australia example, uh, if you heard about it, where they try to forbid uh, so, uh, Facebook, for example, and all the social medias to deliver news media without uh, paying uh, for it. Uh, please just uh, update me. I, I, I've heard about that vaguely, but I don't know the details. So, so uh, as far as I know, you know, basically Australia passed a law saying, you know, the big me- uh, social medias are not allowed to share uh, news articles from news providers without paying for it. So they had to pay for being able to share stuff on social media. And then uh, Facebook basically replied saying, okay, well, then we simply ban all the news media outlets in Australia to to publish anything on Facebook. And they suddenly dropped traffic like 20% or something. And it was really hurting, you know, all the news outlets. And then they reverted uh, that uh, law and and said, you know, this is not a good idea, (laughs) obviously. Actually, that's um, not not knowing the details in this specific case. This has happened in Europe a couple of Mm -hmm. times uh, concerning Google News uh, on a national level in, I think, Germany and Spain, where they they, um, imposed uh, levies. On on Google News, so if uh, if there were links, I, I might be not totally right on, on the details here because yeah. it was some years ago. But uh, if a link to a newspaper uh, publisher comes up in Google News when you do, do like a Google News search, uh, a levy would be paid from Google to that news vendor yeah. for that. And uh, if my memory serves me right, bo- both in Germany and in Spain, Google just said, oh, well, they w- then we don't link that mm, content. Exactly. They just dropped it. And traffic obviously plummeted yeah, uh, for, uh, for those news media outlets. And they dropped that piece of uh, yeah. uh, national legislation in both um, Spain and, and Germany, as far as I know anyway. It's a typical example of not considering the consequences of having regulation, right? No, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. You, you know, one... One step thinking, basically. <laughs> yes. And very and far that, from that, first principle thinking. Yes, yes, very, very, very far away. And it, it's sort of, it, I mean, I, I used to uh, work a lot with uh, copyright infringement issues, yeah. 
representing not, not the least internet service providers and a lot of arguments coming from rights holders and I do understand and respect rights holders very very, very much so it's 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 not not about them versus us or something like that but often the the argument were I can understand the the, the annoyance and, and perhaps fear uh, of so, someone taking what you perceive as your stuff. Mm. Uh, I have a lot of respect for that, but the sort of the solutions that was proposed from, from like like that special interest uh, in, in general when it comes to uh, a liability of internet service providers for for letting this traffic flow in their networks were um, yeah they they didn't think. That, think too far ahead they were more just make it stop was their argument it should stop like mm. put put up a stop sign or some wall or something like that so basically censor and then you're into like internet regulation and e-commerce regulation okay so you want like internet service providers to monitor all traffic <laughs> yes just to uh, to 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 help you, so not, you not you, being infringed. So you be disinfringements in order to not have disinfringement. And that, that that turkey basically didn't fly, yeah. uh, which was a very very good thing. Uh, but but it's it's very easy for for like a special interest to uh, see it from their own perspective, obviously. And I mean, it's this is my uh, property. Someone is using it. Really, they, doesn't that really demonstrate the need for companies like IT and Telecom to really you know, push the voice from the tech industry forward to yes we tr- we try to we actually try in a way to, uh, to sort of emulate this first principle perspective or uh, outlook in in how we build policy because uh, at least when it comes to data policy we have like uh, basic principles that we are uh, sort of build everything else upon so we have like a principle for lawmaking actually we have a principle for um in IT and telecom. In IT and telecom. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our data council, actually, we, we've oh. sort of st- started like three years ago, something like that, four years ago. We're starting to try to uh, address this very complex uh, regulatory matters and issues that all kept popping up uh, all the more from a principle-based perspective. That I think it was rather novel because mm-hmm. we have like principles on IT security. We have principles on... Um, uh, responsibility for data, access to data, and uh, intermediate liability, speaking of that. Uh, it sounds like it's something we were trying to build up in AI Sweden as well right now, which is a set of like best practices. I think, you know, set, set of best practices do exist for software engineering, for example. Mm. It's rather well known how, how you should do version control or handling dependencies and package management and whatnot. But in AI, not so much. And I think in, in legal aspects and regulation, Perhaps um, a set of more well-defined best practices could be but, beneficial. But, but l- yeah. let's let's unpack what we mean with first principles and what we mean with first principles in, regu- <laughs> in, uh, in relation to governance or policy making. Yeah, sure. So, so what was your, you know, what was the problem you were trying to solve, and what were you, what, what what was your, what is what is it that is novel? You think, and, and what are you actually doing? I, th- I think this sounds really interesting and good, but let's unpack what yeah, we sure. mean here with first principle. Yeah, well, well basically, uh, of if if you look at how the the ICT sector or the, like the tech sector, how it uh, sort of uh, handles uh, new regulation, yes, demands from uh, either from the lawmaker or from regulatory bodies like governmental agencies supervising the the market or something like that, it's very reactive. Yeah, because I mean, the tech sector. To, 
to the best of my knowledge anyway, it's it's all about pushing boundaries beyond what's regulated into something new. So a frontier perspective on things, you build something that's not existed before. Basically. I mean, like you're driving disruption through tech and by yeah. driving disruption, you will test the boundaries of the old yes. market. And by testing the more boundaries of the old market, you will yeah. test the regulation of yeah. the old, and mar- you're, old market. Or you create a new market. You create a new market. So basically, before. sort of the regulation is per default, disruptive innovation will try the boundaries. Yes, or go off the chart or into some exactly. other dimension or something like that, that, that the regulator isn't... Wasn't, there was an intent for that because he was tending for another frame. Ex- exactly. And so when, when the lo- lawmaker tried to regulate this, that they sort of put the old jacket on the new uh, situation, so to speak, and it doesn't really fit that well. But, but sorry, what was the question? <laughs> no, so pr- first, first principle. principle. So, yeah. so what, what, you know, so you realize this, you know, this is what is going too fast. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to put words, but I was, isn't it like reactively based on what we had, you know, am I in a good mood or bad mood? What's on the agenda right now? We go left or right on how we deal with each, each topic. And then you said maybe something like, hmm, do we need to go more, do we need to go deeper on how we yes. start thinking or oh, what is first principle? Re- yes. No, no, back on track. Yes. Um, well, basically, since we got so much input, uh, new pieces of law proposals, uh, actions from governmental agencies and so forth, we, we simply, simply felt uh, within the Data Council that we, we, we don't have the resources to react on everything and sort of build a new case every time, build new arguments to, to, to advocate what's good for the industry. Uh, so so we, we, we simply arrived at uh, the conclusion that we, we, we need to sort of find principles that we can stand on. So to wh- reason then from. Yes, yes to, re- to reason from or to, to, to build like an argument. ar- arguments upon. Um, and that, that took quite a lot of time actually. And it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a very general principles. Um, but when it comes to say uh, intermediate liability, we sort of acknowledge that that that's a principle that needs to be protected in able to uh, foster an o- a free and open internet. Uh, when, when besides, uh, rather, when when did you heard someone talk about the free and open internet lately? It was some time ago, right? Yeah, we and, forgot and about what the we, whole purpose. Yeah, was. we forgot about it. We took it for granted, basically. But so that, that's a very important uh, principle for us to try to keep things open, so you can innovate, so you can try new things, so you can fail get up again and perhaps learn something rather than having uh, the market uh, being sort of closed up off or that that you have to ask for permission too much in too many details before you do things sometimes you get lost and don't see the wood for all the trees and and your regulations start wait wait the core idea was a free and open internet what happened to that yes this is what you're trying to now distill down the core yeah, well, exactly so we so we're sort of distilling uh still distilling uh, and tr- try to find basic principles to, to argue from uh, and that makes at not the least my job very much more easy because uh, i don't i don't have to talk to a thousand people every time there's something happening i i can just look at our principles okay this this is what we've agreed to agree on and then we can move from there and how does that worked out so far? I mean, like basically, you can much quicker reason your way on pragmatically. To yes, a, what, what it's, should it's be short. Standpoint. It's shorted reaction time basically because uh, when when you have a like a, a member-driven organization as we have, like with thousands of members, 
it takes time to to act, especially to react. Because uh, if you don't react in time, things will be over before you react, and, and that's a challenge for us because uh, we are w- very wide when it comes to focus as an industry uh, organization. We have uh, a lot of various topics that that we cover and need to cover. So how how to how to shorten our reaction time? How to be more competitive, basically? How how to argue better? How to make things happen uh, in a way that's beneficial for the industry? To a higher degree, well, we have to find uh, what's the, basically the core of the industry. What what's what's really really important to us, and what's worth fighting for, and what w- can we let go or, or trade off or something like that. I, I personally really like this, and I, we we, I, we can go down rabbit holes on on, on data governance, how we mm-hmm. can work with this, but let's not do that. What I'm th- what I was wanting to ask you is basically this principle based approach, or basically thinking about the core first principles. What is your perception on the lawmakers' view uh, approach to this, or, or or is it principle less? I mean, like, is because sometimes it's like I, I sometimes see this seems like we're all doing it project based, and each project gets its own life, and then then you know what you are doing in 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 one project doesn't add up with the other project. I mean, like, are we having a principle? Can we find the principles in lawmakers in Sweden? I mean, like, if that's where you know both, or is that missing? No, I think they're there, uh, ab- absolutely, uh, but uh, they're not always present. If you, in, in, in the actual, in, no, in the, in, in the day by day business, so to speak. Mm, uh, we, I mean, point. it's I mean, Living lawmaking is by the book and so forth. But uh, when it comes to more general principles to to uphold, um, perhaps not always. And there are, I mean, co- coming back to like a consequence analysis, when you like regulate, I don't know, data protection like privacy. How much do you uh, ponder its implication or the, the proposal's implication on freedom of speech, for, inter- exactly. it, for instance? It's being done, of course, but it's, it's sort of skewed and tilted, um, which is a challenge. And I mean, um, I shouldn't criticize like the lawmaker too much. They, they have their hands uh, full. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, it, it's not too easy to, to balance no. various kinds of interests. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say that they're... they're lack principles the contrary probably but w- what's lacking is basically uh, feedback loops uh, and uh, anal- uh, sort of consequence analysis as we mentioned before well, speaking about you know first principles and, and another favorite topic of all of ours which is Elon Musk and uh, also speaking a bit about you know some of the quotes he has made um, and I think it's connected to regulation as well but it would be fun to hear uh, your thoughts about this so, so a question I often get is Elon Musk, you know, he's one of the biggest uh, or the biggest uh, innovator that we have today and a legend, uh, living legend of some kind. But he also made some interesting quotes like uh, AI is the biggest threat to mankind that we have today. Still, he's using AI more than perhaps anyone yeah. in Tesla and uh, SolarCity and uh, SpaceX and uh, so much more. Why do you think that Elon Musk says a thing like AI is the biggest threat to mankind when he's using it the most himself? Good question. Um, well, uh, I can only speculate, obviously, but um, I mean, if you if you look at AI uh, as a very broad concept, it, it has inherent existential risk, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the outcome is not good <laughs> um, and you you, sh- you should address uh, 
such uh, such a, t- a topic or thing or concept, obviously very carefully. Yeah. I think he's very much aware about that, mm. and, or obviously he is very much aware about that. But then again, thing, things are sort of put in motion. I mean, it's sort of like gene editing or like uh, nuclear technology. It's out there. It's being used and it's going to be used. Whether or not you think it's the worst idea in in history or not, it's going to be tried. So I think he, as far as I'm no expert in him, but uh, as far as I understand, I I think that he tries to sort of address this risk in a way by sort of diving into the topic uh, and sort of try to steer it rather than refrain from it. Mm. And that's perhaps the, if you want to, to, to like minimize risk, that would perhaps be the, the best way to approach yeah, risk I, uh, with AI. I, agree with that. I mean, uh, I can quote some of his, or paraphrase probably is proper term to, to say, uh, some of the thinking he has said, and it's about, you know, regulation. So it, I think uh, you can speak well about this, but he compared AI to automotive, which is of course another uh, expert field of his uh, given, you know, Tesla. And he said, you know, back in the 1950s and speaking about regulation for uh, seatbelts in cars, that was something that was being fought by, by the special interest groups of automotive industry a lot, saying, you know, if you you really enforce having seatbelts that will kill the cell of of cars, you know, that will kill the industry and horrible, and and they will did everything they can to fight off having a regulation about seatbelts. And it took like 10 years before they actually changed that, even though they had the statistics knowing that if you had a seatbelt, you know, the chance that you will be killed in an accident is like significantly less. So probably hundreds of thousands of people were killed because of the um, slow pace of regulation in that case. And today we all have in use and are happy that we do have seatbelt, I guess. And I, and then he said, you know, okay, that's, that's okay for seatbelts. You know, it just killed 100,000 people, but yeah, not, not existential threat, at least to mankind. And then he said, you know, let's see if we do the same procedure for AI. And then think, you know, uh, we are at a certain stage today. AI is very far from human type of intelligence, of course, but it's expanding like exponentially right now. And if we are going to have the, the oversight committees before we do the, the regulation and we actually do have that in place, it will probably take 10 years before we do have that. And in 10 years, AI could be extremely much further ahead. And if we don't have you know, regulation in place before that happened, it could be potentially yeah. a bad thing. So I think he also said something that AI could be the best thing that ever happened to, to mankind. And it could also be the worst thing that ever happened to mankind. What do you think about this thinking? Do, do you do you think is is that a good analogy to make with seatbelts and AI, or what's your thinking there? Yes, it is. Uh, as much as it it illustrates the problem, the inherent problem of this technology. Um, but I, I think uh, co- coming back to what we talked about earlier uh, concerning regulation and and uh, policy making that stuff. Um, it, it, yeah, regulation, that, that's great. But h- how to do it, mm. to, uh, to make it efficient, to make it work? Yeah. How, how not to like fall in the GDPR trap? Exactly. Because I mean, because mm-hmm. that could increase the risks. Because we tried worse. regulation, yeah. it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to regulate uh, 
in the right way. I, I have no idea how you would do that with AI. And I haven't heard him. I've heard him, uh, Elon Musk, speak on uh, regulation, mm. but very, on, on a much more general level. And, and also I, I heard him and I, I really uh, I got so happy hearing this coming from him. Mm. He talks about regulatory capture. If you know that concept, um, no, no, please uh, it's, it's from the Chicago School of Economics, uh, a guy called George Stiegler, I think. I think he won the Nobel Prize like in the 50s, 60s, mm. some, some, somewhere, around, somewhere around that time. Uh, and it basically states that uh, regulatory bodies, whether it be the, uh, the lawmaker or like the uh, like supervising agency and so forth, they can be, be owned by uh, special interest groups. Mm. Uh, if they get too close, mm. get too comfort, they only listen to perhaps the automotive industry's uh, seatbelt uh, lobbyist mm. or something like that. The lobbyist gets too strong. He gets too strong. Uh, or the uh, in relation to, uh, yeah. to, to pub, uh, public officials, um, in various capacities, and that then you get uh, preferential treatment for that uh, specific uh, special interest. Um, um, basically, favoring that special interest uh, while everyone else bears the cost, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of like rent seeking or something like that that you uh, you, you don't provide basically you just steer the the, the conditions yeah. of, of the market say uh, in a favorable condition as a special interest uh, and that that's that's an inherent risk when it comes to regulation in general and the regulator and the governmental bodies should always be on the outlook for that problem and I, I think he is right to point that out and I think it's it's also and not, not not like bash on big companies but big companies have the resources to influence small companies does not have that they, they perhaps have uh, the resources to pay the membership fee in a small uh, mm-hmm. industry organization such as mine mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's very difficult to to get small companies sort of time and effort because uh, they are so much more occupied with their daily operations and they need to be to survive. I mean, well said, I think. I mean, it really speaks to the need for having this type of industry organizations as, as, as IT and telecom, you know. Who, who can, unless you are like a tech giant, do provide a proper type of influence or, you know, information, if you call it that, to uh, policymakers, um, I mean, a small company. I, I would come back to to like uh, responsibility. Mm. Oh, sorry, uh, and um, like owning your own actions. Um, uh, you, you know the concept "skin in the game." Yeah, uh, like uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, uh, writer and okay. uh, former uh, speculator on Wall Street. I think it was. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So do you have a specific definition of skin in the game? Yeah, I, I well, well rather he has, uh, which is that you, you can't, <laughs> to make it very simple, you can't trust someone that doesn't have some stake in the game. Oh, right. Yeah. So you need to have stake in the game because otherwise, why should you care what happens? Uh, professional opinion makers with no skin in the game is tricky. Dangerous. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very dangerously and especially if you look at it over time and if you look at as I mentioned earlier, uh, like like re- regulation, if there's no penalty for bad regulation, mm. how will you ever get good regulation? Right. Yeah. So, and that, that goes for like stakeholders. And I, I think what, one thing when, uh, when we talk about regulation of like markets and industries, 
total freedom will give you a lot of innovation, mm. a lot of trial and error, and that's generally a good thing to 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 like get ideas to the market and from the market to to like society and to cre- create uh, benefits of various kinds. That mm. that's a good thing. But when when you make a mistake on, on the market, wh- who pays for that mistake? Mm. So hence you need some kind of regulation. But how to regulate without regulate? Uh, in in a way that curbs innovation, I think that's it is, it's very very tricky. Mm. You know, if I were to quote um, Evelina from Peltarion, she she is a lawyer as well, and she said I think something rather profound, which is, if you are going to do regulation, um, be careful about regulating technology by itself. You should rather regulate the effects of using a technology. Yes. The per- yeah. Would you agree with that? I mean, just to take an example, let's take a controversial example, like facial recognition, for example. Most A lot of people are very much against it. And, and of course, we, we can easily imagine a lot of bad use of that. But still to regulate completely against facial recognition instead of the poor applications of the purpose, facial when to recognition use it and not use it. is dangerous as well. Just as, as you could say that if you regulate... Uh, what should we take? Uh, data augmentation or uh, something more fun. Uh, using convolutional neural networks is dangerous because it can be used for facial recognition. So that let's regulate uh, convolutional neural networks. I mean, that, that would be a very dangerous thing to do, right? So, so you should uh, regulate instead of the effects. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Very much mm-hmm. so. I, I think that's a, that's a very good line of reasoning. Yeah. And I think here we do mistakes, right? So here, here sometimes... Maybe it has to do with knowledge and understanding that we jump the gun and we regulate the technology or the technique rather than the effect. I I think we have seen almost examples of that. I don't know, but uh, that's the feeling I get Um, that we are not really understanding the topics. We're regulating the wrong thing. Yeah, I think I think you do. Uh, uh, I'll try a reason around this uh, this question a bit here. Yes, you should regulate the effects. We don't want bad things, so mm. let's regulate bad things. But then again, uh, coming back to like copyright infringement, is it a symptom you should regulate? Mm. Or is it the cause? Nice. Even next level on this yeah. topic. Yeah. So what's the... Okay, so <laughs> how... confused. But so how do you, the symptoms. Now we're confused <laughs> on a high level, at least. So, so how, do you, how do you find the root cause? I mean, like, the, because the, then someone could argue the tech is the root cause. Well, it's not really the root cause. It's, it's like the purpose, of course. Yeah, I guess that's where you venture into politics. Yeah. Uh, and like, um, I don't know if you should talk about uh, COVID and... Uh, of course. Uh, yeah, let's, how, go how, here. How, let's go here. Let's go here. It's a good example. Oh what have I done? <laughs> yeah, please. I love it. No, but how, how various uh, political um, uh, representatives have been sort of um, handling the, the situation. I mean, and I, I talk generally about political uh, parties that are in charge uh, that have a responsibility towards society. They are uh, elected uh, public officials. That are here, parliament or something, something like that, mm. or the government or something mm. like that. Uh, not need to point to anyone in particular, yeah. but uh, t- take COVID. Uh, how how has man- many like governments uh, reacted? They pointed to the experts on experts on what. Mm. Okay, okay. What is uh, this going to? This is all interesting. Yeah, this is yeah. very good. Continue. Uh, 
Like in Sweden, uh, you have uh, Folkhälsomyndigheten and they are experts within their field. But I mean, if if you are to sort of make uh, an informed decision on where to go, which is if you are an elected uh, public official, to me, that is your responsibility. That is not your expert's responsibility. You can listen to your expert Mm. or, or rather you should very carefully but you have to be the one uh, who balances balances yes. things who makes the trade-offs and stand mm. for that and own that uh, decision i've listened to them to them and to them now made or rather we have made this decision to walk in this uh, direction b- because of that that would be some good things coming out of that perhaps some bad things but that's our decision and you can judge us by that but and this is of course very interesting if you've been following the different governments and or how policy making or decision making yes. has been done in different countries. I, I live many years in, in in Australia, so I've been following that very closely, and it's it's night and day how how the the tone of argument yes. has been in in Australian public television, and then we all have seen America, and yeah. you know, and you know, almost like don't you know don't even listen mm-hmm. at all to the experts and then sweden has one model and and in a way more balanced i think in than in other countries uh, yeah a more balanced decision on how to let the in like let the whole society run keep, keep running keep running keep so, so for yes. me someone has made a conscious balanced choice right or wrong we I, I, that's not the point but it's clearly that we have gone slightly mm-hmm. different ways here yeah or you're looking at a much broader uh, p- picture of this than, uh, than than i'm doing i i, I was merely referring to that politicians w- when uh, put in, in in front of a difficult difficult, difficult situation have a tendency to pointing to experts instead so, of sort standing of the, up the bridge abc yeah. bridge we yes. talked about that exactly. before we went live i think uh so they, they bridge it to someone else uh, talk talk to him and that's, that's the that, easy way out. Yes, that's, that's the easy, easy way. way that, that, out. That's not the right way out. And I, I think you should um, you should think about that. Um, uh, speaking of skin in the game. Yeah, skin in the game. But there are pros and cons. So let me be a bit of a devil's advocate sure. here. And, um, and, and think about pros and cons. And I think uh, Sweden has, a, you know, it, there is a law in Sweden. It's called something like Ministerstyre or... Ministerial governance or something. Ministerstyrelser på svenska. Ja, exactly. And uh, it basically says that you know ministers are not allowed to make decisions that other, yeah, that other other agencies are you know in charge of. Whereas that's not the case in most other countries. I think Finland has the same as Sweden in some way, but but uh, most other countries do not. Uh, And and I can see there there are pros and cons with with that. what, what's your thinking about that? Do you think the the ministers should take a st- stronger re- responsibility for you know, when to have a lockdown or not? Or I guess on, on a very general level, and I, I, I should stress that I'm not pointing any uh, finger at the, the Swedish government in particular reg- mm. regarding the, the the COVID thing, uh, but rather on on, on more general level, uh, it's it's sometimes too easy to point to someone else than to, to own yeah. the situation. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good point. Uh, and uh, I, I, th- I think uh, I, I don't know if it's called ministerial rule or something like that, mm. the ministerial thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's good. It's a good thing to let 
uh, governmental agencies uh, do their thing because they're they're experts, and I mean they are regulated by the government. They, they get a the directions from the government within this field. You should yeah. do what we say that you should do, and we we won't interfere in the individual case, so to speak. Uh, but then again, if you have a very complex situation with lot, lots of uh, policy areas to, to consider mm. uh, uh, before making a, an informed decision, then you must own that uh, decision as a politician. Yeah. And politicians have a general tendency. And I, I think th- this is for, the, for their sort of um, so respect and uh, for, for rather the general p- uh, public's respect of the uh, p- politicians and political offices. And it's very important that you have a high... Uh, high trust in, mm. in government, high trust in politicians. I think it's a bad thing that many of them tend to refrain from owning their mistakes. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I can sort of buy that and they have to have, you know, responsibility for um, their actions that they do take. Even if they rely on experts, they still have responsibility for what the decision they, they do take because it is them taking the decision. And I don't know. I don't know. It's perhaps it's even a more general uh, trend or situation or, or problem or challenge, uh, however you want to yeah. put it, uh, in, in owning your own mistakes. I, I think, you know, one positive side effect of Corona is that, you know, we do have a lot more. If you look at uh, the morning news shows or whatever in every TV channel we have, it's a lot more scientists uh, appearing now in morning news shows talking about, you know, what recently happened. In some way, at least, you know, at at least me speaking as a scientist, I think that's a good thing because it has been, you know, more respect has been given to experts in some field. But that's, I think that to some degree, maybe that's all over the world, I don't know, but I think in Sweden that, that has sort of come out, but I'm not sure it's been like the scientist has got the limelight. I mean, like in Sweden, the, the, the scientists got some sort of limelight here mm-hmm. in, in relation to this. But I, I know for a fact that they didn't in other, you know, mm. Western world countries. Yeah. I mean, like even Australia, not so much, not so much. So it's interesting. It's, it's also interesting, like how, how this has played out. But maybe we'll leave it with that. Yeah, I'm eager to, to throw out the Trump quote here, but I shouldn't. <laughs> I, I think let, let's, could we, I think we should, you know, new topic, I think. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, we've spoken a lot about regulation and Elon Musk and other things, and we probably come back to Elon Musk a number of times more, but um, let's take another topic. And um, we spoke a bit about uh, the media when we started. And we spoke a bit about, you know, the news, the, the traditional kind of news media that we had. And... The challenge that we are seeing now with all the tech companies coming up um, that are um, sharing news and, and then users are consuming news in a completely different way. And, and you had some thoughts about this. Can, can you just you know start to elaborate a bit what your thinking is about news media, so to speak, and what's happening in recent years? Yeah, well, well basically, because um, you asked me to... Uh, Perhaps ponder on, on, on something uh, current and interesting uh, from from my, uh, my my personal life, and um, we, we had this media training session um, uh, some time ago with, uh, at my job uh, when we we had an expert. This was it's very theoretical. He just went through how media works, its uh, ins and outs, and. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the logics of journalism, wh- what they're after, how, how should you uh, handle a situation in, in various ways, depending on if, if it's live or not, and so forth. L- a lot about that. And it, it just made me think uh, about my own uh, media consumption uh, in relation to, to media, news media, not mm-hmm. least, and how it's changed in the like last, say, 10 years. Because uh, I've sort of migrated from like, having a very high consumption, direct consumption of, of news media and broadcasting and stuff like that. Not 24 seven, but almost, I guess, always checking uh, my phone, always mm. uh, uh, venturing to the news media outlets, uh, websites. So what's your talk about news media source these days? Um, I'd guess Twitter actually, because mm-hmm. um, uh, it's sort of curated by myself and, and it's very slim. And then, I mean, various kinds of uh, like uh, newsletters and stuff like that as well. And I should say podcasts, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's not perhaps for news uh, as much as perhaps like current events or deeper. And we already uh, picked up that Joe Rogan is one of your podcast fans, you know, your fanboy here. Like, what's your favorite podcast? That you sort of um, try to regularly follow. Um, I guess it varies over, over time. Uh, Rogan would be a staple, uh, and through him, actually, Lex Friedman, yeah. which I uh, we did guess the you, are, you obviously know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he's. Uh, I actually discovered him uh, rather recently. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. about half a year ago, something like that. And well, through Rogan, uh, yeah, through with their Rogan. collaborations, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, it's it's so high level, high quality. The co- the contents, the the discussions, uh, the, the, top, the topics, the guests. I mean, it's yeah. it, what else do you need, <laughs> basically? Um, so yeah. Lo- but speaking lo- about the news, I mean, I, I know a lot of people in the news business as well, and, and it is tough time times for these. Yes, for these it's been for a long time. Yeah. So can you see a way forward for them if you take like traditional media papers that are, you know, we have in Sweden or other countries? I, what, what do you think the future will be? I, I guess your role would change in a way because now you have much more competition. Uh, as the, I mean, the, mm. what, what do you call it? The, uh, the supply. Or the supply, the, supply, the uh, noise, if uh, you want uh, to be in that, that go and go in that way. Uh, but what's ava- what's avail- available to uh, a media co- uh, consumer? It's it's endless. endless. Today. It's endless. endless. Yeah. You can get exactly what you want, uh, and that if if you are one who caters to everyone, that will be a challenge for you. And especially mm. if you have a, lo- a lot of costs uh, relating to infrastructure and distribution, distribution and production and so forth, that will obviously bear on you. Mm. And that does bear on the the, me, uh, the media and uh, the news uh, industry. And I mean, look, look at um, ad uh, revenues. Big tech companies are getting a yeah. major part of that uh, that pie, uh, and that obviously that's that's difficult for them uh, uh, to address. And I, I think that pr- perhaps as the music industry or the uh, record mm-hmm. industry, I should say, uh, they need to ponder on. Basically, what what what's the re- reason for being on the market? Really, is what 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 is the the value that they they bring? And I, I don't mean to like put down on uh, like news media or broadcasting and mainstream news, but it it, it is a very steep competition. Uh, if you, I actually I, I saw a TED talk like mm. there must have been like ten 
20 years ago, no, 15 perhaps, mm. with Malcolm Gladwell, if you know that guy. Mm. Uh, he r- writes books on developments of trends and stuff like that. And he, um, he yeah, The Outlier was one book he wrote. The Tipping Point was the another. The Tipping Point, yeah. I, I, yeah. The, yes, the this book is like the late 90s, something like that. But anyway, he, he had this TED talk wh- where he talked about the, the spaghetti sauce guy. Because <laughs> it was <laughs> like, if, if you look at the food market in the US and in the world, I guess, it was based on like uh, create, uh, develop the best product within a specific segment, like mm. the best mustard, the best pasta sauce, the best whatever. And then you, you competed on being the best. Mm. But he discovered diversity, this guy. Uh, so, he, and he, he basically was... I think it was hired by like the number two pasta sauce company in the US. Mm. They couldn't compete with number one. How, how to break them? It seemed impossible. One sauce for all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what he basically came up with through um, focus group testing mm. was that, and it, it, it was, I guess it was some sort of eureka moment for him. There is not one best sauce. Mm. It depends. That's on, a very, on the consumer, the same, right? The yeah. same with news. Then, yeah, right? exactly the same with news, I think. Yeah. That's a good insight, I think. So you need personalization in so some personal, way. Yeah, you, got, you went there. Yeah. Boom, sorry. <laughs> Stole my thunder. Yeah, sorry. No, no, it's but good. But so that, that is the core topic now is news and how to be relevant is something about personalization. Yeah, I think so. Uh, speaking from personal experience anyway, I, I, I've sort of put myself in, in more narrow and narrow circles in a way. And that, that's, it, it's sort of a, a, a negative side to that as well, because you, you get sort of cut off from mainstream. If you don't, I mean, I re- rarely fo- follow mainstream news, not directly. But and it's because so, you want the depth in the areas you like. Yes, and I, I have a restriction of time. I have yeah. three kids and other stuff going on in, in my life, so I, I don't have too much time. And I personally, I. I I favor my books, I favor my podcast, I favor mm. deep conversations, and that leaves no time. That's, okay, l- let's do an analogy here. And, and if we do the analogy between news and music, and we can easily see that you know the tech has really moved into music, mm. and these days it's like common that you do have a personalized recommender yes. system let's, let's go here. that you get music from that you really like. Yes. And then that means that you get music that you do like and you continue liking it and listen more to that type of music. And potentially I would argue that the long tail kind of music artists get more um, exposure yes. than they other would otherwise would because otherwise it would just be the mainstream kind of yes. Yes. artists that came the long, the long tail, that, that was... Some time ago, I heard that expression. Uh, <laughs> but I've been a spoiler, so yeah. We no, spoke a little bit about the long way, but then... No, but it's true. Yeah, moving to, to news... Um, Why that, can't we do it the same, right? Yeah, I mean, what happens if you do the same in, in news? Then, okay, personalization sounds good. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't like to have news that you are interested in and then avoid news that you're not interested in? Yeah. It sounds like it's really good. It's like perfect. But like, aren't we there already? Like Substack and podcasts and... and maybe we could are. be, but, but then let me... Uh, flip the switch, so to speak, and speak about the negative side, potentially. So it could mean that we also move more closely into the filter bubble, so yes. to speak, right? So that means that you only get news that you like, potentially. Uh, perhaps it's not in, in topics, it's really that the sentiment of the news that recom- is being recommended mm-hmm. to you. So I think in that sense, it's different from music, and, and it would be fun to hear what you think. So if, if you do like a certain type of politics, for example, you get only the positive side of that type of politi- politics, yeah. 
instead of tasty music? Or do you I, see I, a problem I, with that? Yeah, I see the, I see a problem, and I, I but I don't see the difference between music and news there. I mean, uh, perhaps I would develop some type of music taste that I would not have otherwise due mm. to some algorithm mm. sort of nudging me some direction yeah. that's was not of my my choosing but yeah. but rather it's they, they, so you can it, it discover me. new type of music in that way that you oh. wouldn't otherwise know about so to speak. no but i, I think or, or rather you, you you get closed off from other, other types of music as well you, you don't get exposed to to wide variety music or perhaps well, be, because of this algorithm you 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 only got to consume one type of yeah. or but, a few types of music. but 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 in music we we've we've held, had the filter bubble forever Är du syntare eller hårdrockare? <laughs> you know, what type of music do you yeah, like? Yeah. And you have a filter bubble. What is more, uh, you know, concerning when it comes to news is the filter bubble that there is, we, we cannot agree anymore because yes. we all have a different skewed understanding of the world's truth. The truth is not one truth anymore. Or there's, you get an understanding for everybody is on the blue side or the red side and everything is filtered on this yes. now. So I think the the filter bubble, of course, well, it's it's the impact that I'm more concerned with when it comes to news than music, I guess. Yes, I or no, no, continue, we, please. No, no, no. I, and I I must really agree with you there. Uh, it's actually in my notes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go there. Yeah, I, I the, the flip side, uh, as I was going to say, is that you you put yourself in a narrower narrower box so to speak mm. or bubble uh, and what 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 happens to like uh, the, the common societal narrative or whatever you want to mm. call it what this it is the glue the glue of society where does that uh, lead uh, th- does this situation actually lead us mm. in the long run and I, sh- I think you should be not perhaps overly worried but you should be concerned and i see i see your risk that you you will have a, a division in um or rather perhaps a segmentation in society where uh, individuals don't meet uh, on a or rather recognize each other but it's like chips in the night or something like that you you don't you don't relate to each other in the same but, way but anymore i, I think that that would be a, a development but I, I would say in sweden we have it a little bit but in, in the in the united states now if if you're following the politics and, and all the different movements and everything that is happening it's it's almost like a country tearing itself apart right now yes. it's it's it's, it's, it's really yeah. concerning you know with the election and everything that happened and but i, I think, don't know yeah but but speaking you know i know some people in social media as well and they they say one thing that people often misunderstand is that they think that you just publish thing that people like and therefore they will read but in reality what happens at least to some people and I'm not sure if this is true is that if you publish if you show something in their feed in the social media that they disagree with that has much higher engagement yeah, yeah. than actually things that they already like so in some sense, um, if you just do the algorithmic kind of approach to what you should recommend to see people, you actually do recommend things that potentially is disagreeing with your thoughts. But that could lead to the whole trolling industry that we are seeing. And I think that's a big reason for us seeing that. Uh, so in short, what I'm trying to say is things are not as easy as people think. No. I think also it's really wrong to say, let's regulate against social media news sources uh, as a tech. We should regulate against the effects, I think, yeah. again, right? And, and then it should be that I think you can use tech. I, I know YouTube, for example, is doing something like this, 
saying, we want to have the top things you like, but we also want to have the top thing you do not like. If you recommend those things in a balanced way, it actually is much more informative than perhaps other traditional medias could do. I, I think uh, uh, a challenge here is that if you compare like old school times, like the 20th century uh, mm. media consumption, where you have very few channels, uh, broadcasting one to many, you have a common narrative, a common understanding of things, everyone is updated on the same things and sort of fed or, or uh, uh, pre presented with, with uh, narratives and, and perspectives that everyone can relate to and, and agree upon, basically. That is off the table today. Mm -hmm. You have endless variety, yeah. and that obviously that would, will put mu much more sort of not not least cognitive load on you. Mm -hmm. You have to sort of relate to all these new things uh, coming at you, different perspective and so forth. And that I think could be a challenge. That I, I don't know if we 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 are really uh, equipped, equipped actually to to, 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 to handle this load. And I, I know. Uh, from my studies, actually, ages ago, studying computer science, that mm. uh, cognitive load, uh, it's uh, how you handle that, that varies a lot depending on the individual. Mm. Um, cool. I think we, we just have 20 minutes left. So, so let's try to, to move to another topic as well. If we have time. Can we do it like this? You had prepared a couple of topics that you thought was um, um, maybe interesting to talk about. Do you, do you have a do you have a topic that you would sort of bring to the table that we should that we can talk about? So if you have a talk, topic of choice, um, I, I think I brought them all actually to the table already. <laughs> yeah, so we got there. That's, I, I like that. I mean, let's take talk about one of the I think uh, awesome thing that IT and telecom has done recently, which is the the AI Suite of the Year award. Right. Yeah. What, do you know anything about that, or have you been involved in some way? Or? Uh, not directly. It's my, my esteemed colleague Lars mm. Lundberg, yeah. whom I know you know, Anders. Yes, uh, he's like the the grey eminence of the industry. <laughs> <laughs> grey, you know. Yeah. Why is he has silver hair? Actually, silver, silver is better. Yeah. Silver is better. <laughs> yes. I have silver as well in my beard, at least. So yeah. No, but it, it's it's basically his uh, to the best of my understanding his idea. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it, it was something that we uh, picked up upon uh, basically because we saw and I, I think you do, do as well the, the need to sort of championing AI in Sweden and advancements that are being made individuals that make uh, valid contributions that they need to be celebrated yeah. uh, and uh, and seen by many as uh, leading examples of, of how, how to expand the use and development of AI in Sweden so that, that's basically the uh, the, the main idea of it. I mean, it really, uh, I think, uh, turned out really well. I mean, it got a lot of press. And I think um, I also think the person that you selected uh, is someone I know and, and I know has contributed a lot, which which is good. And I also like, actually, it's not an AI tech person. It's someone that uses AI as a tool from yeah. the medical field, uh, which I, I really enjoy. And uh, I think that's, you know, when you really start making true value in its sense, in some sense, for using AI, that's really what the main positive effects are, right? Or can, can you just speak about in general, you know, how, how did that happen? What was the starting process? How, how do you do the selection? Can you just, if you know any details about this, how did that 
process work. I should really refer you to Lars because he, okay. he's the main guy there. I yeah. shouldn't steal his limelight, really. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm not too uh, well uh, read up on the details, actually, mm. to be honest. But we can say it's, it was Marcus Lingman. He is the... Uh, yeah. Yes, in, uh, in the region of Holland. Yes. Uh, he's like a chief medical officer there. And uh, I think he's um, a strategist within the region as well. Mm. Uh, so it was for his endeavors and be, being a championing of, of AI within the region that he got the reward. But you know him. And yeah, you, yeah. You know we, more about his... Uh, no, but we, we have some collaboration with him from yes. Peltorin as well. And... Uh, is part of this uh, Medberg project, as we call it, to, to use AI in trying to understand uh, Swedish text and Swedish patient journal text to do things like, in his case, it was about trying to understand vårdskador um, or treatment injur injuries, I think the, the proper pr translation is. And uh, obviously you want to minimize that. And if you can understand why it's happening and when it's happening, that is a way to use AI to simply minimize these kind of bad side effects that happen during uh, the treatment of various diseases. So obviously super important, especially in these days with Corona. So very well deserved, I think, and uh, uh, really cool. But I like it. Uh, I like, you know, how an industry like yours could do that kind of, I don't want to call it gamification, but I, I, I just highlight, you know, people that do in some way do good do deeds in, in some way. Society. Yeah, yeah, I think it's needed, and not not only concerning AI, but uh, and if you, in a way, uh, th and this is perhaps not always the case, but uh, I know when uh, like uh, sustainability issues, not least mm -hmm. con concerning the environment, uh, when that was becoming a, a sort of a hot topic and uh, something that a lot of people was, talk was talking about, the tech industry was very late in mm -hmm. promoting itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the, the benefits of, of using digital technology in various ways uh, to curb like emissions and uh, mm. create a more sustainable society. So I, I have so, sort of a feeling that the industry tends to be sort of inward looking sometime and it's, it's highly competitive, so it's understandable. Mm. But it's, it, I think it could be even more pride. Of what it sort of adds to society than, than what it does. Mm. And I, I guess th this, this reward is, is a way of sort of to champ championing individuals mm. that make a change. Yeah. And uh, that also goes to uh, back to regulation uh, and policy. Often when we talk about regulating uh, like the internet or uh, digital services or data usage or something, it for, for the lawmaker, it gets very abstract. Uh, it's sort of a magic box of tricks. Uh, you don't really know what it is. Mm. Uh, so they get kind of scared sometimes, I can feel mm. in a way that, oh, oh, this seems very complicated and difficult and oh, we don't really want to touch it or we, we don't know how to handle it, but we'll handle it anyway. Mm. Uh, and that really puts a lot of uh, responsibility up, us, up on us as an industry association, a representative of the tech sector in Sweden, mm. and up on uh, individual companies themselves to, mm. to actually uh, explain what, what they're doing and wh why it's so great and uh, wh what they need. And, and there, is a, there is a positive trend here, I should mm. say, that for like 10 years, about 10 years ago, 
you didn't nearly see as much uh, involvement and engagement from Swedish companies, uh, Swedish tech companies, when, when it comes to promoting themselves, promoting the industry, promoting the positive things that the industry uh, brings to society, as you see today. I, I see actually a, a large shift there, mm. which is very positive. But n- n- now, you, now you're really, really firing me up <laughs> on a new topic. <laughs> please, can I yeah, take this please, topic now? Go, go. So we are now starting on the industry and, and how we understand how important it is, if I understand you right, to, to for the lawmakers and for the progression of innovation, demystify. Yes. Yeah, we really need to demystify what this black box is all about in order to, you know, help the lawmakers better understand and ultimately to make understanding that tech might be the solution to the bigger problems like, like pandemic, like uh, global warming and stuff like that. So let me now flip it um, because I think you are now working with an industry who are one of the worst hype monglers of all yes. industries. Yes. So <laughs> what do you think about your own industry and your ability to represent them when they are the marketing spinners from hell? Yeah, <laughs> fair question, I guess. Jesus. Okay. Uh, Let's go here. No, but yeah. I, I, I sort of agree. Um, I mean, I, I started up off uh, my, my, my professional life um, as a web manager. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I procured um, like CMS systems and stuff like that. And, and I know that uh, what's being marketed is not always exactly what you get. <laughs> no uh, shit. No <laughs> shit. <laughs> and that, 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 that might be all and well, or it might be perhaps vaguely okay anyway, uh, w- w- when it's sort of not non-essential services for society. If we put it like that, but when you look at the the like the digital uh, component in society today, uh, I mean it's it's crucial for its function, right? Yes. And then you have to be more responsible. If you're if you're like a, a sort of a backbone of society or one of the backbones of society, you should act like that as well. Yeah. And I mean it's it's obviously the individual company's responsibility to uh, actually m- market what they're uh, they're selling. So the, the, the onus is sort of up on them and it's up on us as an industry representative yeah. to sort of uh, paint perhaps the more bro- broader perspective on uh, what steps and, and, and downs and pros and cons of the industry and its services uh, and, and products. But, but I, I must agree with what you're saying that it's, it's, it's a lot of hype, it's a lot of spin and that's short term and it sells. Unfortunately, I should say, it sells. I, I think, it, and maybe that's not even also so much a representation of the business or the industry, but actually of the customers that actually buys into these, that, that it works. It's a shared responsibility. It's a shared responsibility. Yes, yes, it is. Um, and um, I mean, it's, it's not, there, there is no easy answer here, but um, perhaps accountability. We talked about that earlier. But you have you have you have to own your actions. But I, I think this is one part of it. But actually, I think there's another flip to this. And and so so the, I did on purpose a very provocative statement, because what I'm sensing, having been in the industry, having been buying from the industry, is I think it's hurting them both midterm and long term. Yes. So I'm not think I don't think necessarily it's a winning game. So I'm, I'm, I, I think 
this industry will come to a way where it will implode mm-hmm. if it continues like that. I mean, like somewhere enough is enough. You could, you could look at current EU regulation proposals, uh, which of which there are many. Uh, m- man, many of them are uh, s- sort of reactions to symptoms uh, mm-hmm. on the market uh, that has not been addressed, mm. right or wrong. Um, and now, now so the, the legislator is sort of like back with a vengeance here. Yes. Now we will regulate on and we will do it properly and we will do it extensively and we will have sort of a, a, a very clear idea where we will go here, uh, which is pr- probably not the, the best idea in on itself. On symptoms, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Re- reacting on symptoms. Um, so... I guess the industry, in a way, in itself, ha- has itself to blame for for be- being badly regulated. Uh, if you are, I mean, if you're, f- if the feedback into sort of the the the, lo- the system of lawmaking uh, is uh, is only a, <laughs> a lot of hype and, and a lot of <laughs> a lot of symptoms of of injury or something, okay. you you will perhaps not get the the most uh, leveled and sustainable regulation. But so, something that's yeah, is more focused on, on on what's bad than than keeping a uh, keeping the market market sustainable for, for various uh, vendors, obviously. Um, so yeah, a big responsibility for the industry, I guess. But 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 now as trying to do the best for the industry and trying to make the industry the winners here, mm. how do you think that the industry, you know? You know, what's the, if, if we've been on a hype train for more than 10, 15, 20 years now with, with one, you know, one hype cycle after another and one new word buzzword and, you know, we in data and AI, big data, you know, it's almost a joke, right? What, how should the industry reinvent themselves to be, for, for, to be more successful, to get more successful, to penetrate, to go to operation and to bring value to, and ultimately to sell more and be more successful, but in maybe a bit, I don't know, sustainable way. What would be your, because I think you sit in a position where you really can maybe see if we did it like this, we could, we could, you know, do more good. You know, we could have more impact. Yeah, I I guess educate the customers. Educate the customers instead of dazzle them with marketing. Yes, or, or, uh, uh, at least, I mean, obviously, everyone wants to market themselves. Yeah. So the, I don't think that will go away. But um, if you have like informed customers, they will obviously put informed uh, demands upon you as a supplier. Give me what I want, and I want something like this, this output. How can you deliver it to me uh, at a good price? Uh, it's, it's it's very simplified, but uh, I mean, if you look at the the public sector, for instance, and public sector procurement of uh, uh, IT, it's that's a model that that you could work with because yes. it's not optimal today. I don't think anyone think it's optimal. Um, so you have like high gains in that uh, that market for for everyone, really. Yeah. Uh, you you could, I mean, if if you if you sorted out uh, the public sector uh, IT market. It would be huge gain for society. I mean, yes, yes you, you were talking about the, the health industry, for, for instance. If yeah. if we fully digitalized public health, public yeah. sector health, uh, that sector, I mean, the gains in life quality, in uh, lesser injuries, fewer deaths, um, 
cost savings uh, for, for, for the taxpayers and so forth and new be- better deals for, for suppliers. I mean, who would lose? Yeah, I, I think uh, I'd like to phrase, you know, or quote um, Kai Anderson. He, he said yes. something I think really awesome, which is you, you often speak about the ethics of AI saying, you know, in a negative sense that it can be abused. But you can argue, uh, as you, I think, did now in health industry, that you know how ethical is it not to use AI when it can save so many lives? Yes, and uh, I think that's a really yeah. a profound kind of yeah. uh, very good perspective. Yeah. But but I, I think we have an obligation to demystify as an industry. We have an obligation to basically, if we now. We are talking about AI as the next general purpose technology. So then we need to act like that. We need, we, we need to sort of demystify and, and take it to a place where, where the marketing is irrelevant. I mean, like quoting, uh, I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase Alexander Bard. I mean, like he, <laughs> if you now want to talk about philosophy, so he's talking about, you know, what type of marketing and what will be relevant in the next 10 years in, in the social media or the noise, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he, you know, the new value is the attention value. Marketing is, you know, and attention means that you need to be recognized. So you need to, in some way, n- people don't need to know ho- who you are, but it's, and then the, it, it's a product out of recognition times relevance or value. So if you start, if, you, if you're big, but you use doing marketing spin, it has zero value. Yeah. And if you have really, really good content, but you're not recognized, it also has zero value. So I'm getting to that. I, I think that's a good way of looking at this. The, 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 to get attention and to do things good, you kind of need to be relevant. And for me, it's kind of means now less marketing bus and mere, more concreteness and demystify relevant concreteness. That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense and it, it goes for policy making as well. I mean, for the industry to, to be able to uh, sort of describe itself, what it is, what it brings to the tables, what the, uh, the risks are that you should yeah. care about and the risks that you should not care about as legislator. Um, and that that is a challenge. And I think the general purposeness of, of uh, yeah. digitalization uh, as, as a phenomenon is an obstacle here because it, it becomes very obscure. What, what it, it's only in the application that you can really see what it is. Mm. And, and, and in that way, it differs from a lot of other areas. Yes. Cool. We have like five minutes left and uh, we have a lot of topics, but um, I could um, present three topics to you and you can choose one that you'd like to um, cover now in the last couple of minutes. So one of the topics could be, you know, how do we promote more tech companies that use data and AI in Sweden and Europe? Now there could be the singularity, more philosophical question, you know, uh, what's the pros and cons do you think is dangerous? What can we do to make it as beneficial as possible? A third could be the pandemic, um, speaking more about the economical impact and what we can do to, I guess, reboost or re- recover the economy uh, in the best way forward. Um, any any preference that you have of these three? Well. I'm skewed towards the singularity, but uh, let, let's Ooh, let, let's t- talk about the pandemic. <laughs> no, 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 what? no. What? Okay, okay. Let's talk about the singularity. Let's then. talk about the singularity. <laughs> okay. So, for let's start. Uh, perhaps you have a preferred definition. Of how, what do we? What do you think of when you hear the term singularity? In this case, uh, AI surpassing uh, human intellect. Mm-hmm. Cool. And 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 do you think there is? Um, 
Okay, what's the pros and cons with that? Um, unknown risk would be a, a con. Uh, mm. What happens beyond that uh, is it's 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 unknown, and mm. hence you, you you can't size the risk. And do you do you, see, do you think it's necessarily bad to have a singularity happening? Not in absolute terms, no. But uh, it's more probable that it's bad, or is it? It's unknowable, uh, as, as yeah. far as I, I, I can understand it, anyway. And I guess uh, coming back to to, to our previous mm. discussion uh, when we touched upon um, on this topic is that if you have an inherent existential risk, mm. you, I mean, you obviously you you, you have to tread extremely carefully. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's that, that's the, uh, the the reason behind Musk going to Mars or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but y- y- you can't really move forward without ac- acknowledging that risk, and that is a risk of of, of ex- extinction. Basically, what is the risk more specifically? I mean, we we know that the you know humans today are the most intelligent species that we yes. do have. And that could change potentially with a singularity. Yes. Does that mean it's? I mean, do do all other species that are less intelligent than humans necessarily uh, have a bad time because of that? If you see what I mean. Well, it's uh, how, how they spend their time is more and more up to us. Mm, but I mean, we, we don't go around killing ants just for fun, so to speak. I mean, or some do. Okay, <laughs> maybe. Okay, but what my point is, you know, is it necessarily bad that some other species become more intelligent than humans? No, and I, I think you should perhaps not, uh, when it comes to existential matters, you should not only focus upon intelligence as a, a relevant factor. There are many other aspects yeah. of uh, existence that you, you need, need to relate to, and uh, I don't know what IQ is, some sort of number. Yeah. Representing, I don't know really what. Yeah. Um, some. Have, have you ever pondered about when or how far away is singularity? I, I have, you, have you pondered about not, that? Not not, 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 not standing on my my my, my own uh, capability or reasoning. I've heard others re- re- reason around that uh, when that should or rather could po- possibly occur, but. I, going back to the inherent existential risk, I, I think that is something that shouldn't automatically refrain you from doing something within AI or like that you should like to try to ban it or something like that. On, on the contrary, I, I think the Musk approach that tried mm. to steer it or sort of ride the elephant or something right. like that would be a, a, or tame it perhaps. Guide it or right, mer- merge it, you know, with Neuralink yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. So merge yeah, that, with AI, perhaps. That, yes, that 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 could. From a risk perspective, perhaps be the mo- most uh, advantageous out- outlook mm-hmm. for humanity when it yeah. comes to the, this risk. And we have had, uh, I think, the, um, I think this is a little bit your point of view. We maybe should be more afraid of narrow intelligence going rogue mm-hmm. than artificial general intelligence. So I mean, like both, both because one is quite real and could happen, you know, quite around the corner today, mm-hmm. today more or less. And actually, you know, if you think about it, it's it's a much more real threat that can really, f- really screw it up. I'd see it like two di- different types of risks. Yes. Uh, the one uh, narrow AI, a risk uh, with narrow AI would be, to, to me, more graspable, what it could be and lead to. And the, the, severe, the financial market the going severe, rogue or yes, whatever, something um, like this. 
the AGI risk, it's I, I, I can't size it at all. No, that's that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have some faith, I mean, uh, I think that's <laughs> the only thing you can have in these kind of situations. Um, I, I would argue that we can see that civilization is progressing throughout the years, yes. since the Stone Age and forward, and we can see that we are evolving from the law of the jungle to become increasingly civil in some way. And in some way. In some ways. In some ways, but yeah. But in general, we're moving in that direction, I would argue. So... As long as we but are, are we doing that? Um, I think so. How, how many uh, minutes uh, do we have uh, left? No, because, <laughs> because I, I, I think it's interesting because we have talked about capitalism and now we're talking about do we have a, a, a capitalism that has even gone rogue yeah. the last couple of years. I mean, like, um, what's the purpose of capitalism has used deteriorated the last couple let, of years? Let, let's let's try to uh, uh, connect uh, the development of human morality with technology. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you're saying, Anders, that uh, we are evolving to be more civilized. Mm. Um, I mean, drone usage in war zones, for instance, how, how moral is that? Did but that we have exist to, before? We have to think about you know the time scale, scale here. We're speaking about thousands of years versus like yeah. two, three years or tens of years. And it's a, uh, of course, there are you know things that are happening in just recent years that are potentially bad. And that is really my point. And, and let me just try to finish and make my point if I can. <laughs> so my point is that I'm more afraid, what you said, you know, uh, about the narrow intelligence, because then we don't have the moral kind of reasoning that a general AI would have. Then it's just, you know, I don't care. My goal is now to kill as many people as I can with a autonomous drone going out killing people. They don't have a superior intelligence to us in any way but they are super, super efficient in doing the task they are assigned mm. to do. Yes. That's super so dangerous. So if someone is signing that with a bad intention. Or going on the, you know, some kind of stock market and, you know, I just want to maximize you know, the, the profit I'm making and, and they could, you know, win over all others. That could be another financial crisis that we could easily have very, very soon. And, and these are the, the things that I'm much more concerned with, at least, than actually coming to the point where someone else that is smarter than us can control these kind of potential bad side effects. I mean, like, so your reasoning is that someone that is smarter than us will see and balance the benefits. Yeah, they I mean, will like, control the, the, the dangers that can happen in that way. If they don't, if they don't have a, f I mean, like going back to the Matrix movie, yes. that that they that they realized they had a complete. I mean, like this is fiction, of course, but the, yeah. but, <laughs> so, but but it's interesting, you know. The, the, this the storyline is that they need energy, right? And they find the energy consumption in the humans. So yes. then, of course, everything, the whole idea of what is balanced goes rogue again. So I mean, like, we are, this is philosophical or completely mm -hmm. theoretical, but it's interesting. I mean, it's fun to, to ponder, I think. About we didn't catch that. your, I mean, like you, 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 we, now we're going to stop. So I'm sorry, guys, this is going to be for the after, after work. Yes. So we started with the, that, um, a, a policy, uh, nerd with a philosophical touch, something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're going to explore the philosophical touch now off yeah. camera. That's, yeah, that's a good cliffhanger. Because <laughs> yeah. we love it. We all love it. Yeah, yes. I hear so. Uh, it's been awesome to have you here. Um, can you just speak a bit about, you know, what's happening next in your, next in your life, both uh, professionally or personally? Uh, shortly, on, on, uh, personally, I'm, I'm going to try to finish some of my books on my ever longer 
uh, book reading list. You still read books at least. So books is good. You something. Oh yes. Physical? Uh both. Both. But it physical is it's a very nice format. Yeah. And are you allowed to keep them at home or you, uh, you need to sell them? <laughs> That's the discussion actually. <laughs> so I, I have a couple of books that I need to finish and I hope to do that during Easter break. And what types is it fiction? Is um, it uh, what type is your favorites? It's uh, it's mostly uh, non-fiction actually. Non-fiction? I try to read uh, fiction but I I don't know. I ask you towards non- non-fiction so I I have a new uh, novel by or it's not new but it's new to me a novel by Robert Heinlein if you know him uh, sci-fi uh, author uh, American mm. uh, libertarian guy which I kind of like. Uh it's called uh he, he's the, the writer of Starship Troopers if you've oh, seen the movie. The movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. We've if seen the movie but not read his book. Read the book. It's mm. way better. It's uh, yeah, it's it's better. It's uh, <laughs> I, I like the movie as well. Uh but he uh, he has a book that it's called uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. That's that's what I'm going to read during this Easter. Mm. And uh, perhaps finishing off uh, in uh, in more than one way, I, uh, when it comes to my professional side, I'm actually going to change uh, direction slightly, uh, mm. starting to work for an individual company here um, in the summer. Oh, this is what a scoop! We got a scoop here. Yeah, you got a scoop. <laughs> it's it's actually uh, it's sort of out there as of today, so I can mention it here and on the podcast, and it's. Uh, it's going to be very interesting uh, working for doing uh, public affairs uh, for a, a commercial enterprise rather than than an industry association. So that wow. would be a new thing for me. Can you mention the name? Or is yeah, sure. It's uh, it's a Swedish uh, online uh, gambling company uh, called Kindred. Kindred, not a small company. It's not so small. Company. <laughs> not so small company. Mm. Wow! Yeah. Congratulations, Per. Well, thank you very much. It's, I'm really yeah. thrilled, and we're happy to have a scoop. Yeah. Cool, Per. Um, anyone that you would recommend to for us to have on this show that you would like to listen to yourself potentially? Well, let's say the funniest guy in the in the business, mm-hmm. in my line of business anyway. And I, I think we mentioned him already. You know him, uh, okay. Lars Lundberg, ah, my, my esteemed colleague. Yeah. He is the. I don't know if he, he's sort of uh, he's even more contrarian than I am. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure you will get him down here in your dungeon. <laughs> but he's the funniest guy and he has really a, a unique outlook on things. I, I love him for that. So he's a great guy. Uh, and I don't th- have you had any politicians down here? Not no. What's the closest? Think. But who do we want? Who are you thinking about? Um, Anders Borg. Anders Borg would be nice. Yeah. He would be a name. Uh, you, you also have uh, a Swedish member of parliament in the European Parliament, Jürgen Warborn. Mm-hmm. He's uh, on the uh, a committee on AI. Oh, so he, he's um, he's a guy that actually knows what he's talking about. That's that sounds like a really interesting. A politician who knows AI. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he's part of some specific party, or uh, yeah, the moderate party. Oh, cool. Jürgen Moderaterna. Yes, sounds good. As well, the Minister of Innovation, right? Uh, in Bailan, I mean, or no? Yeah. And the one that was um, involved now in, uh, in uh, what was it, the uh, agenda? Uh, that was uh, Bailan. Bailan yeah, was yeah, that. Exactly. So Bailan as well, yeah. yeah. So that would be the first. The second thing I would uh, like to see is like the economics of AI. Mm. 
uh, which is a little bit more discussed now because uh, you have the economics of cloud, economics yeah. of uh, machine learning models, uh, economics of AI and things like that. And uh, we're talking about singularity, but probably we will never live through to see it because uh, probably the economy of AI will create the AI divide that is bigger than, uh, um, bigger disaster than anything else that we have ever witnessed. My, my dystopian view of that. Dystopian <laughs> finish. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you very much, yes. Per, for coming here and speaking on our podcast. It's been a true pleasure to speak um, about all the things, and I'm looking forward to coming discussions now that I yes. think will be even more interesting. I have so many questions <laughs> where, we are, where I'm going to take this now <laughs> off thank camera. Thank you very much. I'm so delighted to be here. Super cool. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a great evening. Bye bye. Bye bye.